Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, December 19, 2021. It focuses on the predictions God made to his people concerning a rescuer who would come to save all mankind from sin. The message to all who will listen is this. Jesus is the promised Savior of the world. He fulfills all the prophecies. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you sent Jesus to save us and to free us from the power and the guilt of sin. We're so grateful for that. I pray, God, that today you would speak to us and encourage us and lead us toward worship of the one and only Savior of the world. Amen. Over the past four or five weeks, I have received dozens of emails from various retailers concerning orders that either I have made or my kids have made, because they use my Prime account. (laughs) These electronic notices are equal parts, confirmation dispatches, and shipping alerts. My favorites among them are those that predict the estimated delivery date for something that I have secretly purchased for my wife. I'm especially pleased when the date noted is earlier than the date that I need that gift. I made an almost last minute order this past week and almost immediately I received the company's memo verifying my order and payment had been accepted. This note predicted the item that I had requested would be on its way soon. Three days later, I got the follow-up email assuring me that the gift that I needed for our family Christmas celebration would arrive sometime between December 22nd and December 28th. (laughs) You're worried for me, aren't you? It sounds to you like my wife is going to be empty-handed on Christmas Day because of my procrastination. I assure you, she won't be getting nothing for Christmas. Even if she had been nothing but bad, I have two other items that are hidden away in the house or somewhere. I don't remember exactly. (laughs) I have them hidden. And uh, this was just an extra gift that uh, I thought would add a little fun to the holiday. And so I'm saved by the fact that we won't be opening gifts with our kids until sometime after December 28th. And that's when Susan and I are going to exchange our gifts as well. So I am golden. I know where all of my purchasers are stashed, I remember just now, and I I still have time to wrap them and place them under the tree, and this small token of my deep and enduring love, if it doesn't arrive, I'm ahead for Valentine's Day. (laughs) You're still concerned for me, I know. Just relax, it's all going to work out. Try not to remain stressed over the situation throughout my message because I don't want you to miss truth from God worrying about my gifts. It's my problem, right? Deep breath in, let it out. All right, let me tell you about a completely unrelated order that I made a year or so ago. The, The shorts that were in my dresser drawer were getting kind of ratty around the edges, and so I decided to grab a new pair, maybe two. And so I went looking and I found this, these shorts that I really liked. And so I ordered a gray pair and a navy pair. 
and placed them in my cart, pressed the confirmation button, and almost immediately I received one of those confirmation emails. The gray pair were on their way to my house. You notice I said the gray pair, not the navy pair. The second notification came a day or two later, informing me of a delay in fulfilling my, my order for the navy pair. They were temporarily, using that word very loosely, temporarily unavailable. I could wait or I could cancel my order. Well, I really wanted that second pair of shorts, so I decided to leave things as they were. My gray shorts arrived. I loved the material. I loved the fit. I hoped that the navy pair would eventually come to my house months past. I would remember my order once in a while and go check on it. No change, still temporarily out of stock. Long story shorts. <laughs> Sorry. About six or seven months after this purchase had been made, I received an email informing me that I had received a refund, that I was never going to get those Navy shorts. Though they had once been promised to me, they would never be mine. Sometimes when I pull my gray shorts on, I think of what could have been. With great sadness. Deep breath in, let it out. Okay, actually, I'm not all that sad. It's a little disappointing, but I'm not overly sorrowful. My life without Navy shorts is okay, really. I'm fine. Unfulfilled promises happen, don't they? Have you ever made a pledge that you were unable to keep? As much as you and I would like to be men and women of integrity, we sometimes fail in our follow-through. Circumstances change and we're suddenly without the means to wrap things up the way that we told those close to us that we would wrap them up. Perhaps we hold on to the hope that one day we'll be able to do what we said we'd do, but the hope we've got is kind of shaky. Unfulfilled promises happen. But not with God, right? He's always faithful, isn't he? Yes, but... Sometimes it feels like God is far away or temporarily unavailable. It sometimes feels like he doesn't care, that he's never going to set things straight, and his seeming silence makes us a little uneasy, doesn't it? We ask questions like, why? Why me? How long? Are you going to forget me forever? These are the questions which the people of Israel and the people of the world have asked for centuries, over and over. And the people of Israel must have asked them a lot during the period between the last prophetic word given to them and the arrival of Jesus. Somewhere around 420 years before Christ showed up, Malachi received these words from God. This is Malachi 3, 1 through 5. This is the last prophetic word given about a Savior that was going to come. I will send my messenger who will repair the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord. 
as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. We'll stop there. Isn't that an awesome promise that God gives at the beginning of that? A messenger's going to come. The Lord himself will come after that messenger. He's going to show up after the preparer of the way comes. And God himself is going to set things right. He's going to take care of those who are depriving the workers of their wages and who are oppressing widows and, and the fatherless. He's going to take care of this stuff, this injustice in the world. And God gave those words to his people and then silence. For 400 plus years, there is no new revelation, no voice of one crying in the desert, prepare ye the way of the Lord, no rescue from enemies, no injustices made right. It's just oppression after oppression after oppression. Kingdoms falling and kingdoms rising, but Israel still under the thumb of some foreign dictator. How hard it must have been for the people to believe that there maybe even really was a God. A God who cared about them. I'm sure some lost faith, gave up, moved on. The indifferent silence was too much to bear in light of the fantastic promises that had been made but were unfulfilled. Malachi's words were the last predictions given concerning this coming Redeemer, but they were not the only prophecies that Israel had been given. Promises by the dozen had been made by God. The Savior's coming. This morning we're going to go way back in time. Almost to the very beginning and review as many of these promises as we have time for concerning the birth of this child to come, this Savior to come. And as we do so, we have an advantage over those who heard them the first time and even over those who were just a few years before Jesus came because we've met Jesus. We know the one that each of these passages pointed to. He's the one whose birth we were going to remember this week. He's the one we worship each week. He's the one to whom we give thanks when we recall his sacrificial death on the cross for our sin. And he's the one whose resurrection gives us hope for eternal life. Praise God, his promises have been fulfilled. The Savior came and he will if, if the remaining promises are as trustworthy, come again. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Amen. So hear now the word that God gave to his people and to the world over a period of centuries. Maybe even millennia. Remember as you listen that none of those who spoke these pledges of restoration saw their fulfillment. Not one person who heard a prophet speak of a coming rescuer was still living when that rescuer arrived. The people who spoke what God gave them and all who received their word had hope, but they did not see the conclusion of the matter in the flesh. They died having only seen him from afar. The very first promise of one who would make things right came on the heels of Adam and Eve's fall into sin. After the first woman pointed a blaming finger at the serpent who deceived her, God spoke, and here's what he said. His words are found in Genesis 3, verses 14 and 15. 
God is beginning his rebuke of those involved in the fall into sin, which is going to include the man Adam and the woman Eve, but he starts with the serpent. And it says in verse 14, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Satan's rule, God promises, will not be eternal. It's not going to be forever. One who is born the woman is going to come and the cursed enemy of mankind will be defeated by him. Death came to all because Adam and Eve tasted the forbidden fruit to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God had warned that this was going to happen. Now he offers hope to those who are currently dead in sin. The results of sin will not last forever. The serpent's head will be crushed. First promise. Jump ahead a few chapters and a bunch of time. In Genesis chapter 12, God begins to interact with a specific family. He starts with a man named Abram. Perhaps you know him as Abraham. God changed to Abram's name later. God comes and speaks a promise. Given in the first three verses of Genesis chapter 12, Hear God's word to this man. Genesis 12, 1-3 says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The first promise foretold the coming of the snake crusher. This new word from God promises that he will come through Abram's family tree and that the blessing that he brings will be not only for Abram's kith and kin, but for all peoples. The reach of God's rescue mission will be all mankind. The promise of blessing to come through Abram's household is for all those who are cursed by sin. God has given his word. You heard him say it to Abram. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Well, let's go and read about the passing along of this promise through Abraham's line. In Exodus 3, 6, as God is addressing Moses, he says plainly, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So that's what he says. So we've heard God's promise to Abraham, or Abram, at the time. Let's see what he says to the other two. Speaking to Abraham's son Isaac, God speaks of this promise, and he says this to Isaac. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. Sounds like the same pledge to me. You see it, right? Now for Isaac's son Jacob, does God reconfirm the word that he gave Abram? Yep. Listen to Genesis 28, 14. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. 
and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. The promise of blessing is to Abraham and his descendants and to all peoples. If you think a certain tribe or nation or people is excluded, you're mistaken. The serpent's head is crushed for all. When death is defeated by the promised one, the victory spoils can be had by more than just the small clan through whom the Savior will come. The blessing is for all peoples, all nations on earth. All right, we're going to jump ahead again. At the end of Jacob's life, this is Abram's grandson, he is speaking prophetic blessings over each of his 12 sons. I want you to listen to what he says as his hands rest on Judah's head. This is Genesis 49.10. says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. So the promise is getting more specific now. The descendant of Abram, who will crush the serpent's head, will be a ruler, a king. He will reign over all nations. God's promised Savior, the one through whom the blessing of all people will come, will be a ruler, a man of authority in Judah's line. Fast forward with me to a time in Israel's history, hundreds and hundreds of years after Jacob speaks these words of promise over Judah, predicting his rise to a place of authority. Israel has a king now. They've asked for a king just like the other nations because they want to be like everybody else, I guess. And they have this king. His name is Saul, and he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Wrong tribe, right? And Saul, he's a mess. He keeps doing stuff which shows disrespect for God, and he ignores God's commands, kind of rebels against him, and because of these acts of rebellion, God decides to make another man king. Those of you who grew up in Sunday school, quick, what's the guy's name? David. David, very good. Anyone know which of Jacob's sons he's descended from? Correct the mundo. Judah is the clan David is a part of. Making the story of the transition of power from Saul to David much shorter than it is, it covers 16 chapters in 1 Samuel. I'll just tell you that Saul chases his rival around with the intent to kill, and David eludes the madman time and time again. He's threatened repeatedly. Though he is threatened repeatedly, David will not harm the man who wishes to cut him off from the land of the living. He trusts God to take care of the problem of Saul, his stalker, and patiently waits for the scepter to come to him. And it does come to him. Saul is slain by his enemies in battle, and David becomes king. And he rules over all of Israel for 40 years. The nation grows strong under his leadership because he follows God, and God's blessing is on his people. Because David is faithful to God, despite a few sinful detours here and there, we've all got those detours, right? God makes a promise to David. The words of God which come to the king through Nathan, God's messenger or prophet, are found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 
rather than read all of them. Let me zoom in on the verses which are relevant to us today. God's promise to David is found in verses 12 to 16. We're back talking about the one that's been promised that's going to come. I'm reading 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 16. God is talking to David. He says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. An everlasting kingdom. That's the promise. A descendant of David's will rule forever and ever and ever and ever. The serpent crusher now has to come through David's branch of the Judah branch of Jacob, Isaac, Abram tree. No one outside this family can lay claim to Messiahship or Christship. The Savior has to be from the royal Davidic line. Here's a question. Does someone from David's family reign over all of Israel for decades upon decades? Nope. Solomon, David's son, succeeds him. He rules 40 years and then he dies and his son Rehoboam ascends to the throne. The people ask for relief from the hardships that they've endured under Solomon. Rehoboam makes things worse rather than better. There's a long story there too, but we'll not get into that. The kingdom splits. Two tribes remain loyal to David's house. The rest of them form their own nation and their war with each other struggling back and forth for years. The promise was a forever rule. It's still in play, but the fulfillment is on pretty shaky ground. It's like temporarily unavailable things on the internet. Kings in David's line come and go for the next several decades. Most of them are decent enough guys, though, just like David, they take a detour here and there. But the nation becomes more and more wicked, and eventually, after 19 kings in David's line, Babylon conquers God's people, and the king is deposed. The scepter is no longer in David's family's hands, and the promise seems dead. Israel has no king. There's an interesting prophecy found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, which was given years before the Babylonian invasion. There is still a king from David's line on the throne as Isaiah proclaims his promise. Make sure you get the full impact of this message and don't confuse you. Let me remind you that Jesse is David's father. So when it talks about Jesse, this is still about David's line. I'm reading Isaiah 11 verses 1 to 3, it says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Things have been cut off. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch, capital B, the rescuer, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. 
Now, there's a lot more to this prediction. Words which tell more about the one who will come from Jesse's stump, but I, we're going to let these words stand in for the rest. Back now to the empty throne of David. Only words like Isaiah's give any hope to those who are languishing in captivity far from home. The temptation, I'm sure, is to believe that God's completely given up on Israel. Change his mind about David's line. Unfulfilled promises happen, but not with God, right? He's always faithful, isn't he? Shall we read one more promise from God? Another that's given to Isaiah even earlier in his life. In Isaiah chapter 7, the prophet is speaking to Ahaz, the king is sitting on David's throne at the time. God, through Isaiah, commanded Judah's sovereign to suggest a sign which God could use to assure the king and the people that his promise to rescue would be fulfilled. And King Ahaz, in verse 12, refuses to propose any sign. I will not ask, he says. I will not put the Lord to the test. How does God respond? Listen to the next two verses. This is what we have in Isaiah 7, 13 to 14. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Amen. The implications of this prophecy are staggering. Emmanuel means God with us. The prediction Isaiah is passing along to David's line is bigger than any of the other promises that he's made. He's made promises that through Abram, this family, that all the people on the earth are going to be blessed. He's made promises that there's going to be a king from Judah's line, and then promises David that that kingdom is going to last forever. And now he says, I'm coming. I'm going to be with you. God is going to come and be a baby born to a virgin. This is the sign that God chooses to signal the arrival of the forever king, the rescuer, the one who will reign on David's throne forever. As God cursed the serpent, the promise was made that a head crusher was coming. Snake crusher. To Abram, God said blessing was coming, not only for this man's family, but for all the peoples of the earth. The pledge was repeated to Abram's son and to his grandson. As Jacob prepared to die, he prophesied over Judah that the scepter would not depart from his family. David received the promise of a forever king in his line. Through Isaiah, God spoke of, of becoming a man in order to save. Through a baby born to a virgin, God would crush the serpent's head and bless all the peoples of the earth. You know the serpent-crushing descendant of David. All year we've been talking about him as we've made our way through Matthew's Gospel, and now as we're halfway through the book of Mark, his name is Jesus. This week as we remember Jesus' birth, we celebrate God's faithfulness to his many promises. And there's more. We didn't have time to cover all of them, including where he was going to be born and what he was going to be like as he lived on this earth. We're just covering the fact that he's coming. 
The evidence is overwhelming that Jesus is the one that God promised. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and his throne is everlasting. The question then is this, have you bowed your will to the king? The word has gone out, pay attention and heed. Mark 1.15, we covered this weeks ago, the time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Emmanuel is in there implied. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I want to offer you now just a few moments of silence to consider Jesus' claim on your life, to turn to him and submit to the King of Kings' rule, to worship him and thank him, maybe for the first time to give your life and your heart and everything to him so that the Spirit of God can lead you into the kingdom of heaven. place of uh, our regular benediction, I want to invite you to worship and uh, celebrate the birth of Jesus as I sing. I want to give you the opportunity to worship with me.
God, thank you that you invite us to be members and citizens of your kingdom through your son, Jesus. I pray, God, that you would draw people to yourself as they celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus, the promised one. Thanks for the invitation that you gave to us and for the love that you have for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.